G'day, g'day guys, welcome to episode 12 of the Next Checkpoint podcast. I am your host, Connor Matthews, and today we're going to do a, a three-parter. We're actually going to do a three-parter episode. This is going to span for about three weeks or so, and I don't know whether to be scared or excited about it. We're going to be going through... We're going to be going through the entire Crash game library. This is going from the PlayStation 1 up until Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled for the PS4. So we're going to be spanning everything. We're going to be going through the good, the bad, the ugly, and really everything else in between. So I'm scared, but also very, very, very excited. And if you want to catch previous episodes of the Next Checkpoint podcast, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Omni, all those lovely places. And if you want to check us out on the Facebooks, we are on facebook.com forward slash the next checkpoint podcast. Beautiful. And uh, I guess just a little bit of housekeeping. This will be going on for the next little while. And then I've got other plans, potentially. Yeah, I want to do like a Sheriff of Nottingham live, like not a live, but like a a Sheriff of Nottingham length podcast with a few friends of mine. I'm very excited to try and give that a go. But without further ado, Crash Bandicoot. Let's talk about Crash 1, released on September 9th, 1996 for the PlayStation 1 to a massive success and really drew folks who hadn't really... Hadn't really bought the PlayStation, straight to the PlayStation. And this was sort of like one of the big 3D games that Sony really tried to push because one of the main, uh, one of the main, I guess, selling points of the PS1 was the 3D. We had seen games like Battle Arena, Toshinden, and Jumping Flash that utilized 3D. This is sort of the first big, big title. And a fun fact about the pre-production of this game, it was codenamed Sonic's Ass Game. So that's a fun little bit of trivia for for you. And essentially, the reason why it was called the Sonic's Ass Game is because you're taking the 2D perspective of a character, say, facing side-on, going to 3D, and all you see is their buttocks. And Crash. Crash has uh, some, some models with some voluptuous cheeks, if I will say so myself. And that's why it was called Sonic's Ass Game. Unfortunately, I wish Sonic would do that, but he, he doesn't have much of an ass, Sonic, so I'm not going to bother with that. And this was developed by Naughty Dog, who I think this was probably their biggest game to date. They had done stuff beforehand, but I wouldn't say it was the... Best. So start off with Way of the Warrior. It, well, this is their most prominent release up until this point, I believe. Way of the Warrior, which was a Mortal Kombat clone, and it mostly had negative reviews, which came out in 1993. Dream Zone came out in 1987. It was an adventure game that was positively received. Keith the Feet. Keith the Thief, I've got to lie, that's a tongue twister there, came out in 1989, an adventure game which received middling two high reviews, and then Rings of Power, which I couldn't find the exact genre, but it was released in 1991 to some relatively positive reviews, so they did have some good games in this area. Now, whether they were truly, like, massive hits, probably, probably not. Like, I, I would hedge my bets in saying that probably the majority of people did not know who Naughty Dog was until Crash Bandicoot came out. That's probably going to be my guess, and I only knew Naughty Dog because of Crash Bandicoot and Jack and Daxter, a later series that they would go on to. But we're going to, going to move away from just Naughty Dog themselves, and we're going to go to, overall, 
the plot of the original Crash Bandicoot. So Dr. Neocortex and his assistant Nitrous Brio, or Nitrous Bro if you ask me, use a device to evolve peaceful animals into their own army with Crash being the main focus. But despite Brio's concerns, Cortex uses the untested Cortex Vortex to control Crash, which results in Crash basically escaping the castle, but it comes at a cost. He's quote-unquote girlfriend, I want to say, not too sure. Torna Bandicoot is basically stuck at the castle for experimentation. So she has been captured. This was this was sort of, this whole setup was changed in the Insane Trilogy, but for this, she just basically just stood there and was held back by two of the, uh, of the goons, by... Uh, the Cortex's goons, essentially. Quite an easy plot. Stop the industrial man from taking over the world and save the love of your life. Pretty, pretty simple. Pretty simple. It's kind of a, kind of the basic damsel in distress story. Overall, the let's let's go into the gameplay of this. Now, compared to today's platformers and the remasters of the original Crash games, this is playable, but it's also it's also not. Compared to today, it's very hard to sort of point out more of the positives of the game. Now, this is just because the platforming is sometimes not the best. It's not tight. It's not tight platforming. It's kind of it's very tricky, and it's far more floaty, which can make the challenge easier or more difficult depending on like what you prefer and you know your anxiety levels when you have tight platforming. Which for me. Dear God. And this was one of the factors I also think this could be was the fact that this used the D-pad exclusively. This was before the DualShock came out. And I feel like with analog sticks, this game could have been a lot easier. But instead, we got the D-pad, which, you know, it works. Like, it works, but I don't think it's the best way to play this game. You definitely need, like, you definitely need the, definitely need an analog stick, from my opinion. And this is one of the most basic platformers in terms of control there's really you really only have to focus on three buttons the d-pad to move x to jump and square to spin attack which that's kind of kind of easy you know that's that's pretty cool and compared to some previous gen game from the sega genesis and the super nintendo it kind of blows them out of the water in terms of like easiness to control and I guess welcoming to new players. Like one game that was notoriously, needlessly complicated was I think Batman Forever for the Super Nintendo. It was Batman, but with a Mortal Kombat skin and similar, similar animations, and that used so many intricate and stupid control patterns. And it was frustrating. So you had one, I remember this from the Angry Video Game Nerd, you had to press R and select to use your grappling hook up, which is really stupid. And then to go down a platform, you had to press down and select in a very select order and in a specific timing. So you're kind of just like, oh, crap. Like you're, you're stuck for hours trying to figure it out. It's like, oh, what? Why is that there? Why is like so many stupid different button combinations? And thankfully for Crash Bandicoot, they stuck with the basic like basic control scheme and it really worked to the, its benefits. And basically, what do you do in this game? Well, you traverse through linear and lush levels 
which for PS1 quality were pretty darn good. For 1996, this is really good. Better than Bubsy 3D, which came out, I think, a few months beforehand. But essentially, yeah, you go just from starter level, end level. It is a basic... It's a 2D platformer, but 3D, essentially. That's kind of how it is. You have obstacles to avoid, jumps to make. Uh, in the case of Crash Bandicoot, you have boxes to break, which we'll get into that a little in a little bit. And, yeah, it's essentially just a 3D platformer. But I think it's probably one of the best ones out there. Now, the main factor that takes away from the game is the jumping and the risking and the risky, rather, backtracking for some levels like Cortex Power. The main mechanics slash collectible in the game are Wampa Fruit, which can be found in crates you can break in the main levels and the bonus levels. And getting 100 Wampa Fruit can gain you an extra life, which leads... You know, which leads me to the box-breaking mechanic. You have other crates, like the Aku Aku crate, which will give you an extra hit point. So in Crash Bandicoot, you are quite fragile. A lot of stuff can hurt you, and a lot of stuff can hurt you pretty darn easy. Now, I do... Now, this is... You know, it's balanced out. It's perfectly fine. And with these Aku Aku crates, it gives you a bit more of a chance, especially in those tougher parts. And once we get to the Insane Trilogy, which will come later they actually have a good way of implementing a different system for you to get through a level without necessarily dying a bunch of times just to get to one point. And if you break three of these Aku Aku crates, you'll have invincibility, so you can just blitz through things, destroy boxes, and just just destroy everything, and it's quite satisfying. And the music is also pretty darn cool too. And another... Another box in this game is the TNT crates. Now, if you jump on top of these, it'll have a three-second timer before it explodes, and if you are within the vicinity of such, you will die. And you'll just explode into a, mil- like, into a million pieces. So, essentially, this, this can be used to destroy multiple boxes at once for a little bit of strategy, but best to stay away from. If you spin attack them, they will just explode straight away and you'll be dead. So yeah, listen, it's not fun. It's not fun. And I guess we're going to go sort of into the visuals department. Now this game, as I said, for 1996 was really quite a beautiful game. We were still, in 1996, we were still relatively early in the 3D platformer area. So we had Jumping Flash, which is kind of a 3D platformer slash shooter, and that predominantly was polygon graphics. And we had 3D fighters like Virtua Fighter, Battle Arena Toshinden, which, okay, for that for their time, they were good in the sense of, like, this is how far we can take gaming, but they still weren't necessarily the most beautiful games to look at. I think this was this was almost like the first example of a 3D game with beautiful backgrounds, beautiful set pieces, like big, big set pieces. And obviously, as I said before, Bubsy 3D came out several months beforehand, and Bubsy 3D sucks. Bubsy 3D has some of the worst backgrounds you'll ever see. It may make you thrup, who knows. But overall, like, I do like how each stage... There is sort of like a progression, and that progression is seen through the stages where at the start you have these beautiful lush jungles, then you move sort of into the darker temples, and then eventually you make your way through just roads to nowhere, some very high bridges, and then you lead on eventually to the more industrial parts, 
and then to the castle, which I think is really cool. And it's done through essentially almost like a big old world map. You can't necessarily choose the levels straight away, but it's all done in an order and you follow through three different islands and crash, you know, goes between each. So I think it's kind of cool in that each level we go by, it is one big journey. And that's one thing that I kind of really liked about this game, the journey aspect of it. You go from the easy island, then you go all the way up, just that journey along up until you get to Cortex's castle. Now, this is not necessarily sort of like this game... One of the things that really sort of... There's one thing to this game that is interesting. Now, in this game, if you die in a level... Let's say you want to you wanna be a... You're a completionist. You want to 100% this game. Oh boy, you are going to be in for a bad time because one of the things that really is kind of crazy about this game is that when you die, you you basically lose all the boxes that you destroyed and you can't go back to get them because it won't count because here's the thing. If you hit all the boxes, let's say you hit all the boxes, but you die, the game will literally just give you a big old middle finger and say, oh, cool, you got all the boxes, but you died. So it just kind of ruins a bit of enjoyment of it, out of it and you're just sort of like, oh... But essentially, yeah, if you die in a stage and you're a completionist, just go all the way back. Just restart the level and complete it. Because for this, if you want to be a completionist, each level has a gem to collect, whether it be a silver gem or just a or a colored gem, actually, yes, which will give you access to bonus areas so you can complete the levels and do a little bit of backtracking. And essentially for this... Yeah, you die, you got to go back to the start, Pally. And this is one of the more difficult aspects of Crash Bandicoot. And this game isn't necessarily all that long. This takes about four hours or so. If you just if you just play through the game, you're not stressed about collecting the gems, you're not stressed about getting all the boxes, you're not stressed about 100%ing this, it'll take between three to four hours. So not the longest game in the world. And the, repl and the replayability and the extra time will go towards the gem hunting, which you have to not die, even on the bonus stages. So for all the bonus stages, you have uh, ones with Tauna, Brio, and Cortex, with Brio and Cortex really being difficult. And with Tauna, that's a weird one. So you go through the bonus stage, obviously, to get some extra boxes and some extra Wampa Fruit. You go to Tauna, and she's just there, ready to high-five at your leisurely pleasure. There we go. So you just high-five Tauna, and just like, okay, why are you here? Now, they fixed that in the Insane Trilogy, which I do appreciate, but it was pretty funny just being like, why are you here? Aren't you supposed to be at the castle? So, yeah, like, whew. And just the gem hunting and just not trying to not die is the most frustrating part about this game, and especially with the controls. I don't know how some people did it because this was a nightmare to get through. I have not 100%ed this game, or the original version, rather. I have 100% the Insane Trilogy version of Crash Bandicoot 1, but Jesus on a tricycle. This was one of the hardest things I've ever tried to do. And he's going from the Insane Trilogy to the original Crash. That was one of the hardest ones I've ever had to experience because it's just... 
Holy cow. Now, I don't remember, personally, I don't remember playing Crash Bandicoot as a kid, the original one. I do remember its brief memories, but I didn't remember going too far into the game. I do remember the waterfall level, which I don't remember the name of it off by heart, but the music is really nice. And that's one thing I really do have to appreciate about this game. The music, which is done by Josh Mansell, it is a beautiful soundtrack. Definitely one of the better ones of the PlayStation 1 era. And such a fun soundtrack. They did remaster it for the Insane Trilogy, which I do appreciate as well. And for, obviously, when we get to Crash Team Racing, they remastered sound, that soundtrack too. But back to sort of the main topic of this sort of discussion. The gem hunting is... It can extend the life of the game, which I do enjoy. It's, it's got that nice replayability for the hardcore gamers that really want to push to get this. Like, they really, really want to get to this level. Like, they really want to beat it. They really want to 100% it. And what is your prize for 100%ing this game? Well, you get a secret ending. Now, I'll get into that secret ending, but before we get to the ending and all that lovely stuff, we've got to talk about the bosses. Now, this game does have boss fights, and a lot of them, I don't think... I think Crash 1, out of the lot has the weakest boss fights. And we're going to start off with Papu Papu, who is easy as toss. So you're in a sort of like his temple room, sort of, not a temple, but sort of like his hut kind of thing. He's got this big old stick with a skull on it. He smashes it and sort of just moves in circular motion. You just got to jump over him and sort of hit his ass, like jump on his ass, essentially. And you can do that about five or three times in this game, five times in the Insane Trilogy. But yeah, three times in this game, and he's down for the count. He ain't getting back up. Then we have Ripper Roo, which you have to explode him with TNT crates. So for this, you're fighting on a waterfall with three different, with three by three platforms. You got to try and jump on a TNT crate. And then move, like move as far away as you can from it. Now, what does this do to Ripperoo? Well, he just he tro he jumps around, and basically you got to try and get that right pattern so he explodes. And just it's really difficult because it's rather tedious. It is a rather tedious boss fight, and I don't think it's one of the better ones. It's one of the harder ones in this game, but it's not good. Ripperoo would be hanging around. And I do love... He's one of my favorite bosses in the character just because of his design. I love... I just love Ripperoo. And next up in the boss fight category, we have Koala Kong, who is... He's a slightly slightly challenging boss, so he'll throw he'll throw boulders at you. And you got to also avoid TNT crates as well. And one question. I have one... Just one question. Koala Kong. He's one of the most jacked up things I've ever seen. He is one of the buffest koalas you could ever see. Yet he has tiny legs and the tiniest ass you could ever see. Um, how is this possible? How does he walk without breaking his legs? Because Jesus Christ, he, he skips leg day every day. Now, he, he doesn't skip chest day. He must not have a lot of shame in his legs, which good on him for that. But Jesus Christ, man. Go to do leg day every once in a while, and he's he's an okay boss fight. Definitely one of the better ones in this one. And after after Koala Kong, we have Pinstripe Potteroo, who, in terms of characters, he's one of my favorites. He's a mafia guy, which is kind of cool. But his boss fight is the same as 
pretty much the same as Papu Papu. You just got to wait till he's stopped. He's, he's got a freaking Tommy gun and he has some of the worst aim ever, like Stormtrooper level aim. And you just bonk him when he's trying to fix his gun because he obviously hasn't cleaned it in a while. So you knock him out, he's done. And then we have the best boss of the game, which is Brio. So he'll, you know, have, have potions, all that stuff, doing that kind of thing. And he'll have three sort of slime blobs. It'll, it'll go from one to three. And you've got to jump on the blobs, which will hurt Brio. In the original game, it just sort of, you jump on him, and for some reason a life counter goes down. And then we have a second phase, actually, which goes to a... Brio turns into the Hulk. Which is never not funny. He just goes full on Hulk mode. It goes, and basically just a platform drops down in front of you. Just got to jump on the platform, jump on Brio's head, and he's good. He's done. And then the final boss, you have two options with this. If you 100% this game, you can skip the final fight with Cortex. Because if you get all the gems, you have a literally a gem platform challenge that will lead you straight to Torna with a giant bird and you just fly away. No no problems there, mate. How about that? And essentially just you just leave Cortex just going, bro, are you, come at me, bro. I thought we were fighting, bro. Come on. Oi, Crash, what are you doing? Get off. No, come back here, you. You're going to be in real big trouble. And yeah, that's kind of it. If you do choose to go for all the gems. Now, if you do continue, if you just don't even bother with the gems, the fight with Cortex is pretty good. He'll shoot like little orbs and you just got to jump over the purple ones, attack the green ones, and it'll like deflect back and hurt Cortex, which I think is a really good fight. It does require a lot of timing, a lot of precision jumping, and essentially you just defeat Cortex and make away with Torna. Overall, Crash Bandicoot 1, though an absolutely legendary game, the original in terms of modern day, it really doesn't stand up. I definitely do believe that it is, it's a rough game to play, especially with just how modern games have evolved, especially modern platformers with the tight and precise jumping. So yeah, like Crash Bandicoot back then, I'm sure was an absolute revelation, but as soon as the Insane Trilogy came out and other platformers with better controls, it definitely, it's definitely a classic, but definitely not as good as others. Now, the overall reception was pretty good, receiving scores upwards of 75%, and throughout its lifetime sales sold 6.82 million copies, which is pretty darn good for a new IP. Crash Bandicoot was just completely new, so that's really, really cool. But that will... That will do us with Crash Bandicoot 1 and will lead us to Crash Bandicoot 2 Cortex Strikes Back. This released on Halloween in 1997. To basically summarize Crash 2, it refined the formula that was set by the first game and really improved on the strengths. It fixed a lot of its weaknesses. And in my opinion, this is my favorite of the original three platformers. A lot of this comes down to the soundtrack, which I'm going to get into with some nice examples just off by heart. And then just, we're going to go into the plot now. Basically, the story of Crash Bandicoot 2 takes place straight after Crash Bandicoot 1, where Cortex is falling from the airship into a cavern where he discovers, where he discovers rather that he can harvest the power of crystals. One year later, with new assistant Dr. Engine, he will rebuild crystal power Cortex Vortex in space, but 
he'll need 25 crystals to reach the full maximum velocity. But here's the issue, he can't get them himself. He needs to rely on an old enemy. Now, back, at, back to Earth, Crash and the newly introduced character Coco Bandicoot are hanging about when she needs a new battery for her laptop, so she sends Crash on a lovely little adventure, but Crash is trapped into a warp room where Cortex is in need of Crash's help to harvest the crystals to stop his former assistant, Embryo. Now, essentially, Brio is also in this story where he tells Crash not to go near the crystals, but rather the gems that are scattered around the world, with Coco chiming in every so often. Now, the first thing you gotta note is, okay, so they're obviously expecting, they obviously didn't expect anyone to 100% this game, because they just completely ignored the fact that, <laughs> just completely, completely ignored the fact that Cortex is just, okay, you can skip the boss fight with Cortex. So I, I guess he just sort of did some base jumping. Is he a base jumping enthusiast? So yeah, Cortex just falls down, he splats all over through the place and just discovers that, hold on a second, crystals. Of course. Yeah, one year later, Crash is captured by Cortex, but in the sense that Cortex needs Crash's help and really plays that game. And the big issue with this is that they gave away basically the premise of this game straight away. Now, I don't think they needed the whole cutscene with Engine because realistically, you could have had a story where Cortex was maybe changing a new leaf and have that plot twist where Cortex just turns heel again and just, you know, like, I'm back to evil. Ha 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 ha. I used you. Instead of Brio just going, no, don't go for the crystals, go for the gems. Cortex is manipulating you. Listen to me. But if you keep collecting gems, I'm going to use my forces to stop you. Now, the bosses in this game aren't necessarily sent by Cortex, unless it's Engine, but the other bosses are brought in by Brio. So you're basically doing, yeah, you're doing the bad guy's work. But the issue is, like, they could have told, like, they didn't need to tell us. It really takes away from, like, the whole plot twist. And it's just, man, like, they could have done so much with this story. But, like, I know Crash Bandicoot isn't known for its massive stories. But that's sort of one of the big, it's one of the big negatives I have. But let's move on to something more positive. Now, the gameplay in Crash 2 is very much the same to an extent that the same goal of reaching the end of linear levels while trying to break all the boxes, is still there. You still have Aku Aku crates for extra hit points, boxes with lives, bonus stages, and just all that jazz with new elements, such as nitro crates, which explode upon impact, unlike the TNT crates. You have new abilities like the belly flop and the new slide jump, which to an extent may be the best mechanic to ever hit the series. Now, the slide jump is used really to get through some tougher platforming challenges. And over time in this game, the game really does try to emphasize the importance of the slide jump and really pushes you to go above and beyond with it. So real like this is one of the most fun things to use, especially in Crash 3, which we'll get into a little bit later in this in this uh, podcast. But it's just goddamn like this is a fun jump to use because you can just cut through levels. 
you can cut through so many parts of the levels just by implementing it extremely well to get tougher to get to tougher platforming challenges to get to to tougher gem areas so that's really pretty cool i'm pretty happy like that they added something different the belly flop though it's funny just seeing crash just go whoop pock it's not the best ability you could use like it's not the best ability it's just for destroying metal crates now the gems in this game are back with an absolute vengeance with at least one per stage with different ways to obtain them other than just box breaking for examples for example one of the examples that pops into my head in levels like hang eight you have a timer and you need to make it to the end of the level within that time limit so just as you get to the first board riding part of the stage you'll see like a timer in the bottom right and you'll be like, oh, okay, what, what happens at that timer? So you're thinking, oh, okay, let, maybe it's here. Let's let's give it a go. You end up finding, oh, okay, cool. That's, that's cool. Let's find out what's at the end of this. It's a gem. And I think a lot of the gems in this game are very well, not well hidden, but they're very clever. So in the first stage of the game, Turtle Woods, to get the blue gem in this game, you have to go through the entire level without breaking a single box, which is really kind of unique in that for someone who's just like, huh, I wonder what happens if I don't break all the, any of the boxes and you just see a blue gem. Oh, that's kind of a cool way to do it. Like, that's kind of fun. I like different elements of how they hid the gems. So in one of these sewer levels, you have a, just a room full of nitro crates. Okay. So you got to you got to think, okay, so why is this... Why is this blocked off? Yet, this is a room that's full of nitro crates. Okay, let's let's have a look around. Go around. Okay, avoid nitro crates. Ooh, you find a secret area. Ooh, there's a green gem by the end of it. And you go through different parts of different levels to go back to a different level in a secret warp room to get a gem, which I do really, really, really like. And another new element to get new to get gems is the new death roots, which are a, which is basically the prize for not dying in a stage. So essentially, in Crash Bandicoot 2, they realized maybe maybe the game was a little bit too hard. Maybe the gem hunting was just driving people a little bit little bit insane so what they did was they changed everything up so you can die in a stage and if you still hit all the boxes you still get the gem which i think is a a much needed change like absolutely much needed it makes gem hunting a lot easier for a lot of folks and the death route is that prize it's basically a tough platforming challenge which some of the hardest ones oh my god oh my god I'll give you an example here. So Cold Heart, the level Cold Hard Crash has the toughest death route because you are on ice and you've got to avoid very precisely placed nitro crates while you have to go from one part of the level without getting without getting hit or if you have Aku Aku, you can at least cheese it by just taking a couple of hits. Go, go all the way to the end of the level, hit a steel crate which activates more crates at the start of the level, so you got to go all the way back without dying, and then all the way back to get the gem. What the hell? Jesus. At least with Cold Hard Crash, you could cheese it, which is like, thank 
God for that. So the death roots are great. I think they're a really, really cool way to really add that extra challenge there. Another another little few elements is some oddly placed sort of things. So in one of the levels you have a staircase of nitro crates. Well, you're not supposed to you're not supposed to go near the nitro crates. Why are they set up like this? It'll take you to a different part of the world, like different warp room. You got to go to different levels to get the gems. So, overall, the gem hunting in this game is a lot more fun, a lot more sort of a lot more problem solving and some good thinking behind it. I really did like that. And another thing in Crash 2 compared to Crash 1 is that you have a more I guess, more variety of stages. I neglected to mention that in Crash 1, you have a couple of pig riding stages, which is cool. You know, they're fun. But for this, you have the polar bear ride. Like, you have a bit more variety. Sorry, you have a bit more variety in terms of stages. So you have a, in some of the snow levels, you have a polar bear polar bear riding section, which is kind of cool, and also really emphasize the point of Crash really likes the hijack animals. So, yeah, you've got the... Snow levels with some bear riding. You have levels like Hang 8 with a, like with a, I guess like a, a boost board kind of thing. It's a surfboard or skateboard, but it has like boosters on the end. So you can just go whoosh and just stuff like that. Boulder chases, which were in Crash 1 as well. Polar bear chase sequences, which are pretty fun and quite challenging. And a bit of a mixture too. You have a polar bear riding stage and a polar bear chasing stage. It's kind of cool. So they really do try to mix it up in a good way. And what I liked about this, in the newly implemented warp room, you have the ability to pick and choose which stages you wanted to do within the section of the game. So you don't have to follow one adventure. So if you are struggling on a level, you can indeed back out of it and move on to a different level, which I do appreciate for ones that are having trouble with certain levels. For me, Cold Hard Crash was the toughest, including, and also pissing it away. Oh, also forgot to mention there are jetpack stages in Crash 2. No one really talks about them because in the original game, they were kind of crap. But essentially, yeah, you have a, you have a, quite a nice variety of different areas as well. You have the ice levels, the sewer levels, temple levels, chase levels, lush jungles as always, and factory type levels as always. So a good variety of different stages. I do think they sometimes kind of get a bit repetitive, but all they really do is sort of change up the lighting or not the lighting, but sort of the mood of it. So I really do like that. Once again, this game does take three to four hours if you're just sort of, you know, going through the levels. And, oh, oh, how did I forget this? In the original Crash, the only way you could save the game was by completing a bonus level or getting a gem. Now, in this, you can just save whenever you want, which is just fantastic. And if you want to do some gem hunting, this game will take you about eight to ten hours, which I think is a pretty solid amount of time. And just... I think this is a game, this is the game, this is the, this is the one crash platformer that I always go back to. I think that the platforming levels, like just the platforming in general, uh, is fantastic. I think it's the most platformy of the platformers. And the music as well, I do love this music, once again done by Josh Mansell, is just fan-freaking-tastic. Especially the tunes for like Hang 8 and Snow Go and some of the boss fights they are like really darn cool hang out you get like the nice guitar riff or the bass riff sorry in the um in the main chorus of the song and it's just really darn cool really love it and we'll go straight into the boss fights 
Now, Ripperoo, he is the years back as the first boss, even though we killed him in Crash 1. He's easy once you figure out a pattern. He basically turns into a freaky Einstein kind of thing and places TNT, uh, I guess, play, like TNT, not platforms, but essentially like TNT squares along the level and you just basically have to figure out the pattern and avoid them. So he'll blow himself up from that. Then he'll try and do nitro crates, which he'll blow himself up, blow himself up from that again and he'll just die. You know, simple stuff. Komodo, the Komodo Bros, the newly introduced Komodo Bros, boy, they were piss easy. So Komodo Mo just throws Komodo Joe around the room, spins him around. You got to avoid that as Komodo Mo is throwing swords at you, but that's pretty piss easy. Some, a lot of the level just involves standing there. So once Komodo Joe just sort of slows down from spinning, just spin attack him onto Komodo Mo, and that's it. Should I do that three times? Boy, that was really easy. Now, Tiny Tiger is a good one where you got to try and fake him out and you got to try and lead him to platforms that disappear, which I think is a really cool way. It's just trying to, it's like trying to figure out what the next move is. It's not a, it's not a very difficult boss, but still a fun boss, especially towards the end where all the platforms will drop except for once. You got to like quickly bolt over to that platform. Engine is another fun boss. Engine tries to fight you with a mech, but he has one ultimate weakness. Wampa Fruit. That's exactly right. Wampa Fruit kills Engine, and I can't freaking believe that that is what's happening. I could not believe that that actually happened. So you really got to rethink your, your battle strategies there, Engine. Like, holy cow, that was pretty funny. That was actually pretty funny. Just like, oh, that's how you beat him. You throw Wampa Fruit at him? Huh. All right. And this leads us to the final boss, once again, Cortex, which may be the worst boss in Crash Bandicoot history, because all you do is chase him and hit him three times, because he has the final power crystal to get to basically activate the Cortex Vortex at its full velocity. So you just got to try and chase him down and bonk him three times. With the controls of the jetpack, this is one of the worst ones, and it's also one of the easiest I gotta say, like, this is one of the easiest ones, and it's really just like, oh, okay, cool, that's, alright, and it's one of the, I guess one of the big low points of Crash 2, just that final boss fight, because you gotta think it's, like, gotta be one massive, epic boss fight, but no, it's just kind of like, oh, alright then. So that was, like, Crash Bandicoot 2, my favourite one of the lot, specifically from the design aspect, the music is really good, and overall, it perfectly refines a lot of the issues from Crash 1, which I do really, really, really appreciate with new animation, like new idle animations, new running animations, just everything. They really did find that formula, which will carry on into Crash Bandicoot 3 Warp. Actually, well, before we get to that, sorry, the reception overall for Crash 2 was strong, ranging, ranging from 80 plus and sold 5.1 million copies worldwide. So that's that's a really good stat. I'm pretty happy with that. And that'll lead us on to Crash Bandicoot 3, which released in November of 1998. The final platformer under Naughty Dog and possibly the one that people reflect on the most fondly. This is the one where the music is so identifiable with Crash Bandicoot. And it's just, it makes so much sense that Crash Bandicoot 3 would be the one that people remember the most. And it basically just continues to refine the formula overall, but and it still very much feels like Crash 2. 
This also, like, this this also takes place straight after Crash Two, where the Cortex space station has crashed down to Earth to release a spirit. Which at first we don't really know who it is, but then we find out it is Aku Aku's brother. Uka Uka, who is the mastermind behind the previous plans and has also recruited Dr. Nefarious Tropy, who has invented a device called the Time Twister, which will allow minions to go to different time periods to harvest crystals for Cortex. Now, I like the introduction of of Entropy, and I do like the way they introduced him of having him be in the darkness and have him sort of walk up. And you don't necessarily see him, you just see the shadow of Entropy. And then eventually you see him, just that new boss. Like, it's it's a really cool introduction to a new character and and a good introduction to Uka Uka because he's so menacing in his voice. Like, it's so dark and deep and really kind of creepy. It really works well for this game. And after that initial cutscene, Aku Aku senses the return of Uka Uka and informs Crash and Coco and leads them to the time-twisting machine to get the crystals before Cortex. So it's a race against time. I'll go into the gameplay. In a large majority, it's really much of the same in terms of the normal, you know, slide, jump, spin, attack, box breaking, and etc. For box breaking, there is now a box counter. So if you're missing one box, you'll be like, oh! I'm missing one box. Instead of going to the end of the stage and being like, oh, I missed one. you got to be freaking kidding me. You know, just have the old hello darkness, my old friend kind of thing. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's fun. they got a new box counter, which can help a lot when it comes to the full completion. But besides that, the warp room like, is pretty cool with some catchy like background music. So I really enjoyed that. But unlike the first two games, the variety of stages is... Though the variety of stages in the original were somewhat kept to the kept to a minimum, Crash 3 kind of went just balls to the wall. This has so many different kinds of stages from the new underwater stages to the motorcycle stages, the jet ski stages, and the new uh, tiger uh, riding stages. So there's and and dinosaur chase like dinosaur chasing stages like there's so many and even Crash takes a break from animal loving and gives it to Coco so that's kind of nice and the overall theme of this game like in each stage is based off different time periods which allows really a nice mixture between medieval times and the water stages, exotic Arabia, prehistoric times, the 1950s, the future, pirate times, and ancient Egypt. So you got a nice variety of stuff there. And this is the first game with Coco in it. Coco is finally playable in certain stages. I really do appreciate that. There's a lot of really cool stuff behind it. You know, Coco is on her own when it comes to the jet ski stages and the tiger stages with Pura. So that's really cool. I do appreciate that they're now allowing Coco to be a playable character. Now, the main takeaway from this game, particularly, is the fact that it has a Mega Man style kind of thing where you every time you beat a boss you get power-ups so and completely different ones which i think is really really appreciated and one of the ones that well we'll get into them a little bit later but it's really kind of cool that they really though they didn't necessarily need to improve the visuals music was always going to be great what they did decide to do was add more abilities which i do appreciate now these will include the super belly flop which is pretty meh the double jump, which is actually quite useful. 
the Death Tornado Spin, which is the best ability you could ever ask for in a game. It is probably the coolest one you could ever ask for in a game. The Fruit Bazooka, which for, as a kid was pretty darn cool. And then finally, the time trial levels by unlocking the Crash Dash power-up, which is really good. It is actually, it adds a whole nother level of just extra replayability to the game. The time trials are a new mode, which contributes to 100%ing the game, where you can increase Crash's speed and run like he's been caught for streaking. And with each level, you need to basically break specifically marked crates with numbers on them to stop the clock, depending on the time you gain a relic. These go from Sapphire, which is pretty darn easy. Gold, which can sometimes be a little bit tricky, but the Platinum... The Platinum Relics, they're the big boys and proof that you've truly mastered each of the levels. You know how to use every power-up to its full potential. You have used every sort of shortcut, every sort of, like, any sort of advantage in the stage. You have used it to get to the final part of the stage and get a fantastic time. So that's one thing that I freaking loved about this game. The time trial relics were really cool and a nice added way of replayability. It's not... It, once again, if you needed this to complete the game, this... It could have been a lot worse because, Jesus Christ, some of these are very, 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 very difficult, but still fantastic in its own right. And really, unlike Crash 2, yes, the colored gems and the death roots and the gray gems have returned, but they're not as cleverly well hidden. In fact, some of them you find just almost like by complete chance. You have to to get a to get access to potentially a gem. You got to be captured by like a certain a uh, like a certain dinosaur that has to get you. I can't remember the name. Crap. <laughs> pterodactyl. Yeah, you got to get picked up by like a certain pterodactyl. And for a certain stage in the bike, like the motorcycle riding, you want to try and hit a specific sign. And it's really not the most creative. I thought Crash 2 was a lot more creative in that regard. But still a fun platforming time. It's like a still fun time. And we're going to talk about like the different varieties levels, as I mentioned. The underwater ones are a nice change of pace. Like it's really nice underwater. You've got to avoid blowfish. You've got to avoid like, t- like, um, Oh, what do you call them? Like, not jets, but like the, eh, like blades. You've got to avoid blades, essentially. And you've got to avoid the wind gusts that they create. So that's kind of, it's one thing that's like a little annoying. It's like, really? you got to avoid that too? you also got to avoid sharks, but as an added bonus to get rid of coral that are blocking boxes and enemies, you can get on this little fish thing that shoots rockets, which is kind of cool. It's a fun little way. It's a fun extra hit point and a good way to sort of blitz through a level. You also just got to be really careful with it too. The Pura stages, which are set in the Great Wall of China, was really darn cool. Really probably the highlight of this game. The music in this level, like in these levels, are fantastic. And just the platforming, the like the fact that you just there's so much challenge to it and it's so much fun. I really did enjoy those stages. The jet ski stages I also really enjoyed. I thought they were really, really fun with Coco. The dinosaur stages are all good, you know, that's same thing as pretty much like the the um, polar bear chases, but yeah, besides that, those are really good stages. I thoroughly enjoyed them. And really, that's sort of the big difference between Crash 3 and Crash 2. The The main thing is the power-ups and the variety of levels. Pretty much everything sort of feels the same. And, of course, the time trial relics. But everything sort of feels the same in that 
Crash moves the same. He jumps the same. Everything is pretty much the same. And I don't necessarily think that's much of a bad thing. It proves that Naughty Dog found their formula. They found how they can do things. It's kind of cool. And then we move on to the boss fights. We have Tiny Tiger, a good first boss. He, um, he throws lions at you. You're in like a Roman gladiator arena and you got to try and avoid or attack lions at different points. And then he'll try to sort of do a massive jump hit on you with his trident. He misses and just gets it stuck on the ground. You spin attack him. Pretty easy. for It's a good first boss. Up next is Dingo, Dingo Dial, which may be the best new character in the series. Yeah, give me the goods and shove off. So great Australian accent there. And he essentially, you've got to try to basically trick him into destroying, not trick him, but similar to Tiny Tiger, where you've got to bait him into destroying his own shield. And then once you feel like you've gotten that, you can spin attack him and just try to avoid, like get out of there as soon as possible. This Though this boss can be cheated if you slide, jump, and spin over it. Then you can just hit him straight away and do the same thing to get out. And it's kind of a joke. Like, it's actually kind of a joke. So you can make a joke at this boss. It's It's... Though it's pretty easy and pretty funny, it's also just like Dingodile is still a pretty cool character. Up next, we have Entropy, who is, I feel like he's one of the easiest bosses in the game. Because he just, like, he has, like, this thing. It's just sort of like, got to jump over it. Oh, we've got to stay under that. Got to go through a few little platforms and hit him. Rinse and repeat. It was kind of easy, in my opinion, and I wasn't really a big fan of it. And finally, the... Best boss in Crash, I think, is with Engine. And this is sort of like a... It's a space battle. It's kind of nice. You play as Coco with Pura, and you just basically shoot off Tarant, shoot off that, destroy his health. And this boss also comes with two different phases, which is, I think, an, it's an... It's kind of new to Crash, which I really do appreciate. I actually think it's pretty cool. It's a fun boss fight as well. I think it's a little bit... It, compared to the, this is quite more, like the originals it's a lot more aggressive than the insane trilogy but still a, a rock and great time then the final cortex boss is probably the best one of the lot now you have aku aku and uku uku doing like freaking death tornadoes act some dragon ball z action and you got to try and avoid that avoid the mines that cortex drops and just knock cortex into a hole and yeah, no, like the, there is a fun secret ending in this where you turn Crash, sorry, not Crash, uh, Cortex and Entropy into babies and they're fighting over Uka Uka, which is just, it's it's pretty good. And just, man, like these are probably the best selection of bosses. And I think the best part about these bosses is that throughout, as you're completing the game, they will have like little things where they'll be talking crap to you. And be like, you won't beat me. I'm going to, you know, get those crystals for Cortex. And then occasionally you'll have Aku Aku being like, go, Crash, continue. You're doing so well. So we really get to see more of the boss's personalities besides what we get in the actual boss fights, which I think is pretty darn cool. But I do also have a question. Tiny Tiger is like Koala Kong in that he's so jacked. But his legs are so freaking tiny. Like, come on, man. What happened to leg day? You focus so much on your chest, you just forget about it. 
Come on, mate. So, yeah, overall, I think that this was probably, in terms of the, the game, it's fantastic. It, I, it's definitely, for me, not as good as Crash 2, but me, Crash 2 is my jam. Crash 2 is, like, my favorite one of the lot. Now, overall reception for this game was absolutely fantastic. It received a Metacritic score of 91 with a 9.0 user score and sold 5.7 million copies. So, a bit more than Crash 2, if I'm correct which still you know that's that's pretty darn good yeah it sold more than crash 2 which i think crash finally found its fan base which is still a very good fan base and these three games alone reached some of the top sales in the playstation one and now we're going to move on to the first this is going to be the first spin-off crash game which is kind of weird we have crash Team Racing releasing September 30th, 1999, and the final crash game under Naughty Dog. And oh boy, this was a way to go out. Truly a fantastic way to go out. Crash Team Racing, this was this was a really weird, I guess, instance where the production of Crash Team Racing began after the re- release of Crash 2, and the engine was developed during the development of Crash 3. In the prototype stage, they recreated Crescent Island from Diddy Kong Racing to test the game and test out the scope of the game and see if it could be replicated on the PlayStation. Yes, the PlayStation was a lesser powerful hardware than the N64, but it can still do some pretty cool things. So that was really cool. This was all, this was basically a side project and they just got it out there. Like that's really, really, really cool. And though... The original three platformers are some of my favorite games of all time, and I really, really thoroughly enjoyed them. Holy cow. Like, Crash Team Racing was the game that I had the most fond memories of as a kid. I loved these games with a passion growing up. I loved these games just so much. And we saw the fan base for Crash Team Racing really grow and really reach its pitch. Like, sorry, not pitch, but rather peak. Even this year with Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled. Like, how freaking awesome is that? We finally, like, we finally get to see, like, the full potential of the Crash franchise. And for me, it's just, what a fantastic game. So, the plot of this game, Nitrous Oxide has visited Earth to open a challenge to the fastest racer on Earth to whoever that may be. They have a chance to defend Earth, but if they lose, Oxide will turn the planet into a concrete parking lot and enslave Earth. So this is like high stakes, high drama. Everything is thrown balls to the wall. You gotta fight to get to this. So you're going through each race, really trying to become the fastest racer on Earth. Now, this game is a multiplayer kart racing game with several modes. So, you know, the basic stuff, normal race modes, time trials, battle mode, cups, adventure mode, which opens up as its, like, which opens as its story mode. The game, like, the game is one of the few games that was compatible with the multi-tap, which was Sony's attempt at a boomerang, and it didn't really work. But the gameplay itself is extremely good. A very skill-based kart racer, so not as, like, casual friendly as Mario Kart but still very 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 good and essentially the main 
The main reason behind this is with the use of power slides, which after three successful, like th after you do three successfully, it'll give you an extra boost. So to execute a power slide during a turn, you press the L1 button and you'll see like a red bar, like a bar that'll go from green to red. As soon as it turns red, you press the other bumper and it'll go whoosh, whoosh, and then just whoosh, just continue to go. And the chaos of Mario Kart in terms of items is still here. You have items like missiles, which directly follow a target. You have cannonballs, which act as like the green shell almost, but not a, but doesn't bounce back and stuff like that. You have the warp orb, which is sort of like the blue shell, which is kind of cool. You have a time clock, which will slow everyone down until you get to first. And finally, you've got potions, you've got TNT crates, nitro crates, all that good stuff. And you also have almost like the star, like the equivalent of the star in the Aku Aku or Uka Uka masks, which are really, really cool just as you blitz through everyone. Still just so much fun. And what I love about this is that there are so many shortcuts in this in this game. Every stage, I think a large majority of stages have shortcuts in it, whether it be more like, like, I guess the more like famous ones, you have Sewer Speedway and Papu Papu's Pyramid, which has multiple shortcuts if you know where to go. And I love it because it just like it has that risk and reward system, which I really, really like. Now, aesthetically, compared to the original trilogy, this game does not look great. The models do like the models fall short of the, in the graphics department primarily because of the limitations of the PlayStation 1, which is most notable in the character select screen. And the music is still great. Absolutely fantastic. Once again, done by Josh Mansell. He is like, my God, he is my, he is my daddy. But like the graphics in this game, they're not great. The game tries hard to replicate the beautiful world of Crash Bandicoot. But obviously, it really doesn't do that, which I don't blame the game. That's just the limitations of the hardware. So that's just that's just the reality of it to get this game even on the platform. And one of the things that I notice is just the character models just look so so lifeless in game. You do have some like voice clips, but they're not moving their mouths. They're not like you know doing any emotions. It's just oh, just crash with a big old grin on his face. The only time we ever get to see that is during the trophy presentations. So you got like first, second, and third. First is like celebrating. Second and third are just like... And you have the trophy girls just like doing a quick like introduction and just being like waving. And then we cut to the champions. So that's that's kind of cool. Each of them have a unique animation. Obviously, you got the crash dance, which everyone loves and adores. And then you've got, you know, certain ones like Dingo Dial that jumps around shooting his flamethrower. So that's really kind of cool. I do like that... Though they weren't able to do it in-game, they were able to do it during the cutscenes, which I really do enjoy. And for the first time in a story mode in Crash, you can choose whatever character you want. Now, you have initially you have the choice of eight characters. Crash, Coco, Cortex, Engine, Tiny, Dingo Dial, Pura, and Polar. So a very nice mix of characters. Half of them are good, half of them are bad. So... It's kind of cool to see that. And the, I guess, Polar and Pura, they're sort of the easy mode kind of guys. And actually maybe um, Coco and Engine, they're sort of the easy-ish kind of characters or sort of, eh, sort of intermediate. And then you've got uh, Crash and Cortex, which stats are equal. 
So that's kind of cool. And then if you want a real challenge where you really want to test speed, but maybe not have as much turn, you do have Tiny and Dingo Dial, which are the fastest characters in the game without question. And you have four different themed areas with four races, four races each, and then a final boss. Now, I do like this because it gives you a chance to... I guess explore each of the levels. Each level it has like a hub world with all the all four different racetracks and you can go around, explore, check out different things. You have a save screen which you can just drive into which is kind of funny and just see him crash, but go around it, have a look around, explore the islands and then you go into once you've completed the four races, you can go straight into the boss race which you beat them, move on to the next one. And the bosses here are Ripper Roo, who throws TNT crates, Papu Papu, who throws potions, Komodo Joe, who throws a combination of TNT and nitro crates. You have Pinstripe, who throws cannonballs, and then finally Oxide, who throws everything and tries to cheat by basically starting his race at two instead of, instead of the actual timer, which is really annoying, but he's pretty easy to beat. But for some of these guys, this is probably the most competent they've ever had. Like the most competent boss fight they've ever had, especially from Papu Papu and, and Pinstripe, who were just like, they were so easy in the original trilogy, but now they're just like, they actually provide a bit of a challenge, especially Pinstripe Potteroo and of course Komodo Joe. Unfortunately, originally they were, they were supposed to put in Komodo Mo, but of course, but due to the, um, limitations of the ps1 they they couldn't they did try but they couldn't and this was like these boss fights are still very very good and then after the first time you beat oxide he kind of just does a big old hissy face he's like no 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 how could you beat me well guess what you're gonna have to beat me again but this time you're gonna have to get all the time trial relics and all the ctr tokens then you can face me again and i assure you this time you will not beat me so then you have the added replayability of the time trial relics, which obviously, yep, sapphire, gold, platinum, you know, varying difficulties on how to get them. And then finally, the CTR tokens, which in each of the stages, you have a C, a T, and an R token just sort of around the level. And you got to try and not only get all three of them, but also come first in the race. you got to you got to win as well. So that does add a little bit of extra challenge, especially in the later races. But still, it's it's pretty darn good. Like, pretty darn good. And once you beat Oxide again, he's going to, you know, be humiliated and leave. And in the credits, you have a nice little backstory of everything. So this is this overall was the most fun I ever had with a Crash game. And my, like, I remember playing this game so much as a kid. And even as an adult, I remember when I was, actually last year, when I was 21, I bought I bought the game at a market and I'm like I was so happy and so excited to play the game and just all the nostalgia just came flooding back and it was just so crazy to just kind of relive that nostalgia now there are other there are other characters you can unlock obviously to get to the final boss like the second time with Oxide or if you you know yeah, actually, yeah, to get to the second time with Oxide, you've got to go through all the gems. So, to, um, like, for the gems, you can unlock the boss characters, but also there are some other characters you can unlock. You have characters like Entropy, which you got to beat his time during the time trials. And then finally, Penta Penguin and Fake Crash, you could use cheat codes, 
which is kind of cool. You don't see that now, but everyone in this game can be unlocked with cheat codes. So if you just want to get into some racing action with your friends and don't necessarily want to use any of the other characters, you can go just by using cheat codes. So simple as that. Now, overall, this game was very well received with an 88 on Metacritic with a 8.9 user score. So overall, a fantastic crash game, and I definitely see why. But now, this may be the beginning of some very turbulent times. Some very, very turbulent times, because now we have the final game on our list for today's episode, Crash Bash, the first ever Crash game not developed by Naughty Dog, and the last one released on the PlayStation 1. Now, Crash Bash, in short, is a party game. Not a complete ripoff of Mario Party, but it's clear where the inspiration came from. This was developed by Eurocom and released on November 6, 2000. So for those for that stretch of 1996 to 2000, you had consistently... Every single year, a brand new Crash game, which I can definitely commend on. I definitely, like, I really appreciated that. Now, this game, I remember playing as a kid so much. I freaking love this game as a kid. Not just from the remixes of the old Crash songs, but just, I don't really know what drew me to this game. But I really, really loved it, and it's maybe partially due to the loading screens, which... One of my favorite parts about this game is the loading screens, which is pretty funny. Now, the story of this game, if you want to call it that, is basically Aku Aku and Uka Uka bickering like an old married couple trying to figure out whether good or evil is better. But they will not fight each other because, and I quote, the ancients will not allow it. So instead, they just get people to fight each other for them. Everyone that's just sort of warped into this sort of outer space temple thing. But the issue is there's only two on the good side, Crash and Coco, Yet you've got Tiny Tiger, Dingo Dial, Koala Kong, Brio, which makes no sense because he turned in, you know, he, you know, didn't like Cortex at that time, and then a completely brand new character, <sighs> Rilla Frickin' Roo, who looks like Dingo Dial's deadbeat cousin. Rilla Roo, this is his one and only appearance. He could be in Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled through the December update, but who knows. But at this point of time, oh my freaking god, you could not have picked a more boring character than just a reskin of Dingo Dial, but less fun. Without an Aussie accent. Like, seriously, how freaking stupid is that? <laughs> so yeah, you got Rilla Roo and... You know, Aku Aku points out, hold on a second, these gay, this will not be fair. You have so many people. I'm just going to pinch two. Yoink! Just, ch just suddenly chucks, you know, Tiny and Dingo Dial on the good guys. Like, with the good guys. Let the games begin and just, yeah. This is essentially a minigame collection. You have, you know, your basic modes. You know, you got your, I guess, your arcade kind of mode. You don't have time trials, which would make sense in this. And yeah, you got your basic, you know, got your basic modes. You got all your, you got everything you kind of need for a crash game, essentially. You know, there's nothing really all that much to it. Still, yeah, you know, it still works. It still works. This is essentially a mini game collection, which in it, it's kind of weird because this game does have a few modes. You got yeah, arcade versus all that stuff. There's also an adventure mode in this game, which yes, in similar to CTR, you have your 
you get to choose you get to choose your character, which I do appreciate, and you basically get stuck with the different three AI characters throughout the entire adventure. Now the warp room. Now each warp room consists of three, or oh, sorry, four different mini games. Now these mini games range from crate throwing, so you just basically throw, you know, normal stone crates or TNT and night. Well, actually not 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 nitro crates, but TNT crates at each other to try and like lower a health bar. You have polar bear riding, which is a lot of fun. There's a lot of physics to it. You can try and knock each other off a platform, which I actually think is probably one of the best mini game. Pogo sticks, which is freaking stupid it's a very repetitive very like tedious mini game you have like a like a four player pong kind of thing which can be quite chaotic you have one with tanks which is really weird seeing crash in a tank but still pretty funny and etc like that for me i could not as an adult as strictly an adult i could not even be bothered getting through the entire game because there's so much repetition to this there's just so much to it and to complete adventure mode you need a certain amount of trophies gems and crystals to progress which means repeating the same challenges repeating the same mini games but with different added things to it maybe you have a time limit maybe you have less health than everyone that kind of thing and it it's just so repetitive and really so dull. And to like to get to bosses, you got to have a certain amount, which is just, eh, really? I gotta go through all that. So yeah, like once again, this is a game that was made for the multi tap. This is like yeah, four player action with friends. This is a fun game, but on your own, you, it's it gets boring real quick. So yeah, like you got Rillaroo who looks like a cross between Skippy the Bush Kangaroo and Curious George. They had a child. There are boss fights to this game. I only got to three. So Papu Papu, as usual, freaking easy as hell. The Baronator, which is fun, which I actually think this might be the best boss fight. It's really good. Which you got to knock some mechanical dogs off a platform with the polar bear riding mini game, and then basically just you got to launch a bomb at the giant polar bear in a submarine. That's kind of cool. And the Komodo Bros, which are okay. Eh, that's fine. So, yeah, kind of overall, there's really not much you can really say about Crash Bash. It's just sort of like, you could just sort of tell that as an adult, as strictly as an adult, as a kid, I loved this game. But as an adult, you could just sort of tell that potentially the Crash franchise without Naughty Dog may be going downhill from here. Overall... This received a 68 on Metacritic, but this could be one where the fans definitely disagree with the critics because this has an 8.2 user score. So a lot of fans really, really enjoyed this game, and I don't necessarily blame them. There is some fun to be had here, but definitely the critics sort of, I think, got, I got, they got this right, in my opinion. And, whew, that was, that was part one. Just part one of this entire Crash retrospective. On the next episode, I'm going to be covering the Game Boy Advance and PlayStation 2 to the PlayStation 3 era games. So that'll be that's going to be a fun because oh boy, we're going to go, go we're going to be going through some dark times here, folks. Now, if you want to listen to previous episodes in the next checkpoint, you can catch us on Omni, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all that good stuff. And if you want to check us out on the Facebooks, go to facebook.com forward slash the next checkpoint podcast. Hope you all have a wonderful day. I have been Connor and I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. Play some games, why don't you? Have a good one, guys. 
You've been listening to a Sin Media podcast where young people run the show. Okay, see you later. Bye-bye.